In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 6, we read about Jesus' disciples asking him, how are we supposed to pray? It's a great question. I mean, what are we supposed to express in our prayers? I mean, what do we say? What are we supposed to ask for as we pray? And Jesus gives them this well-known response that we now call the Lord's Prayer. This is in Matthew 6, if you want to turn there with me. And this is what we read from Jesus. And as we hear it, remember, this is the word of God. And in verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, you likely know that we express those words regularly here as a corporate prayer for us, echoing Jesus' words. But I think there's one part of that prayer that we often wouldn't mind just kind of skipping over. I mean, I think we're fine with glorifying God, certainly, and asking his kingdom to come in Calgary as it is in heaven. Absolutely, we want that. Asking him to help us with our daily needs, our daily bread, yes. But wouldn't it be easier if the prayer just stopped with the first part of verse 12? If it just stopped with us asking God to forgive us our sins? But we can't because Jesus says, pray then like this. This is a way I want you to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And friends, I think that's one of those difficult statements of Jesus. It really is. I think if we reflect on it, that's difficult for us to hear just like it was difficult for Jesus' disciples here. And that's, in fact, why Jesus has to go on and kind of unpack that teaching in a couple of places in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, the first place he does that was immediately after this prayer. Look at verse 14 with me. Jesus said, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so I just want you to notice something in this passage. In this prayer of Jesus that we've been saying for 2,000 years, this subject of forgiveness is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives a commentary on, that he expands on after he finishes the prayer. So don't you think that tells us something? I mean, wouldn't you think that means that element carries particular importance? I mean, certainly all the other parts of the prayer are important too, certainly. But you suppose this points out how much of a struggle Jesus understands we'll have with forgiving others? How we'll want God's forgiveness, but how we struggle at times with giving a similar kind of forgiveness to others. I think Jesus expanded on this here because he knows our tendency, he knows our weakness, he knows our difficulty at times in forgiving others. The pastor and author, Elizabeth O'Connor, she put it this way. Despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, we do not forgive easily, nor find ourselves easily forgiven. Forgiveness, we discover, is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. 
there's got to be some amens after that, right? You, you know how hard it is. Let, let, so let's just all agree on that. Forgiveness is often not easy. But also, there's an amazing power and impact in forgiveness. Whether it be forgiveness expressed or even forgiveness withheld. We're continuing today in this teaching series that we've just called The Grace of Forgiveness. And, and last weekend, if you were with us, we, we looked first kind of at that grace of receiving forgiveness and, and just the wonder of what God offers us in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you weren't here with us last weekend, I really encourage you to go to our website and, and listen or watch that message because it lays the foundation what we're looking at this weekend and next weekend. So with last weekend's teaching as a foundation this week, I, I want to move to considering, okay, so how then do we offer and extend forgiveness to others? So we're just going to be looking practically at, at how we take what at times is an extremely challenging step of extending forgiveness to those who have hurt, who have wounded us, who have treated us unjustly, whose arrows have pierced us. And I know this. This really, this is far from being just a theoretical matter for any of us, truly. In fact, you might have walked through the doors of the church today, carrying the weight of some serious wrong that was done to you. Maybe this past week, the past year, maybe it was even many years ago. And if that's your situation today, and, and I know we've all been there, the message I want to share today, it might be hard to hear because it really involves spiritual surgery. And surgery's never fun, except maybe for the surgeon. Maybe they'll lay like that. But it, the good news is, is that God wants to remove what's toxic in our hearts because he wants us to live our lives with love, with joy in it. And so the surgery I think he might do on us today is a surgery of forgiveness. That's what we're going to look at together. And I've really been helped greatly in what I'm sharing with the work and writing of Lewis Smeads, David Augsburger, and, and others on this challenging topic. And in fact, I want you to know, I'd, I'd really recommend to you uh, this book. It's kind of a classic from many years ago by Lewis Smeads called The Art of Forgiven. And, and we, I think we're sold out at the Welcome Center. But if you want to go there, we're going to bring more copies in for next weekend. But you can sign up and we'll bring a copy in. You can uh, buy it from us here as we bring it in. A very helpful, very easily read, accessible book that can help us in this. All right, so let me really just kind of break our focus today into two parts. And first, I want to do this. I, I just want to comment briefly and consider those kind of hurts, displeasures, or slights we need to forgive that are comparatively minor, that aren't very egregious. I mean, maybe it's somebody who makes a, a comment in passing or acts abruptly or harshly or maybe stings us in a comparatively minor way. And, and so how do we handle those? How do we forgive our debtors there? And one way I think we can do that in, in those minor situations is by following an acronym that's just RAP. All right, just say the word with me, would you? RAP. And I don't mean to be overly simplistic, but I think this can be a helpful tool. And, and I am encouraging us, therefore, to wrap. First time I've done that. Now, if, if you're in that place where you're feeling kind of uh, stressed or maybe uh, by a small or perhaps inadvertent offense, then would encourage you in this way to wrap. 
What do we mean by that? Well, meaning, first of all, the R means take the first step of remembering. You remember. You remember your own struggles and sins. I mean, because if you feel someone has offended you, you just pause and remember, okay, actually, how many times have I done that myself to someone? Because it's really hard to say too offended at someone else when you're really conscious and aware of your own shortcomings in the exact same area. So first, you, you remember in these days. And then second, the A. The A means you assume the best of the other person. So we remember and then we assume the best of the other person. And, and you, you think of this, okay, they very well, maybe they've walked through a very challenging day. Maybe they're in a hurry to get home. Maybe they're pressured by something there. You just kind of assume the best of the other person. When I'll tell you, our natural pull typically is to assume the worst about them. So we just, we attribute to them the, the best possible motives for the wrong or oversight that they might have done to us. Okay, so we remember, then we assume the best, and then the P in rap means we pray for them. And I'll tell you, praying for the person is very, it's very important. In fact, Jesus tells us to do this. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 44. Remember what he said? He said, pray for those who do what? Who persecute you in this case. So Jesus there, he's not just talking about these kind of minor offenses we're talking about right now. He's saying, pray for them even when they persecute you. So in these situations, we do. We just lift a short prayer to God. We pray to God, okay, Father, would you, would you encourage and guide that person today? And, and would you help me just kind of release this small offense? Just, would you bless them, please? And I can tell you an interesting thing happens when you pray for someone who's wronged you. You do, you find your heart beginning to let go of any irritation or animosity. I, I can tell you from personal experience, when you rap about these kind of minor hurts or offenses, you really start to think, you know, this really isn't worth me holding on to, being wounded by. And really, I, I find I'm far better able, more inclined to just let it go. Okay, so that's the suggestion for what we do with the small stuff, all right? And, and we need to grow in this, we do. And I think we need to cultivate this increasingly gracious, easily forgiving attitude toward others in our day. So that's some guidance for the minor hurts or offenses. But we know the real challenges come, though, with the medium, larger, wounds, hurts, offenses that we experience in life. And, and that's what I'd like to focus on on the second part of our study today. And know this, we're going to be looking at this also next weekend, so I encourage you to come back. And, and, and for the second part, I want us to look at another time when Jesus specifically talks about and teaches about the call on his followers to extend forgiveness to others. It's later on in Matthew. Just flip over to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus has just been teaching his followers how to respond when someone is deeply wounded or hurt you in the body of Christ, in the church body. And Jesus gives them very simple, not easy, but very simple guidance. Jesus tells them, if somebody wounds you, don't go gossip about it. Don't complain to someone else about it. But rather, you know what you need to do? 
You go to that person directly. You go to the person who is wounded, you one-on-one to talk about it. And then, if you can't resolve it one-on-one, then you draw on two, maybe three other mature followers of Jesus to come to walk with you guys and maybe mediate in this. And then Jesus says, if that doesn't resolve it, and then you take it to the leadership of the church. Profound guidance, I, I can tell you, it exponentially would diminish divisions that take place in the body of Christ in the world if we would just follow the simple principle. Simply so. Not easy, but simple. So Jesus has just taught that to his followers, to his disciples. And then it says this in Matthew 18, verse 21. And then Peter came up. Just pause there for a second. Don't you love reading verses that say, and then Peter? Because you know something good is coming up if Peter is bringing it. That's just Peter. So this is what it says. And Peter came up and said to Jesus, So Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So here's Jesus. He's just been talking very practically about forgiveness. And, and Peter wonders, question I think we'd all be asking, how often do we need to do this? Really? I mean, give me specifics, Jesus. How often do I need to forgive this person before I hit the limit of forgiveness? And understanding this, understand, Peter's being actually generous by suggesting seven times. In fact, rabbis of that day, they said you needed to forgive someone in three times. And then after you've forgiven them three times, then you kind of could wash your hands and seek some kind of vengeance in the situation. So here's Peter. He's actually doubling what the rabbis recommended. Then he's adding one for good measure. I, I have a, just a feeling that Peter was likely saying, Jesus, should I forgive seven times? How magnanimous of Peter. I mean, Peter thought he was going to be commended by Jesus. And how surprising for Peter when Jesus goes far beyond Peter's suggestion of seven and says this in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven. So let's be clear in this. Jesus here isn't saying, I want you to forgive someone 77 times, but then the 78th, okay, you can let them have it. Rip them down after that. No, Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to do. Seven, no. You forgive, and you forgive again, and you forgive again. So we ask this. If that's what Jesus calls us to do, we need to be clear on what forgiveness is, right? I mean, we should ask the question, what are we being called to do? Really, what is forgiveness? And, and so let's do this. Let's first consider this. Let's first consider what forgiveness is not. Because there are so many misconceptions about what forgiveness is. In fact, Lewis Meads and many others explain a number of these elements. I want to just note five of them kind of quickly because they're just so important for us to understand. And they have so often been misunderstood, especially in the church. So here's five of them. Let's be clear on this. Number one. Forgiveness is not excusing, diminishing, or tolerating what was done to us. It's not denying it in any way. Be clear on that. I mean, forgiveness is not trying to justify itself. It's not trying to diminish someone else's behavior. That's not what it's doing. 
It's not trying to pretend that we haven't actually been hurt. Be clear on that. Second, forgiveness is not forgetting a wrong that was done. Have you ever heard the phrase forgive and forget? Kind of push that to the side. We do forget things, we do. Sometimes I forget where I put a book or my keys. We have lapses of memory, that's the case. Be clear, that's very different from forgetting a serious wound that somebody has caused me. I mean, I might still remember the hurt even when I'm forgiving them. But then you think, oh, wait a second, but doesn't Jeremiah say that God will remember our sins no more? Yes, absolutely, that's what Jeremiah says. But understand, that doesn't mean that our God has some kind of amnesia about it. Rather, Jeremiah's point is that when we receive forgiveness of God, our, our God then feels about us, he responds to us in the way he would feel if he'd completely forgotten it, washed it away. I mean, perhaps over time, by God's grace, over time, the pain of a wound might fade. But it might not. So here's the key in this. It's by God's strength, it's by God's power that we can find the power to forgive what we still vividly remember. It's by God's strength. Okay, thirdly. Forgiveness is not allowing someone to escape from the consequences of a crime. Just want to note this. Even if we forgive them, a rapist or a child molester should be reported, apprehended, to protect others. That makes sense? So don't misunderstand forgiveness, what it is or is not on this. And then fourthly, here's one. Forgiveness is not typically a once-and-done moment. And by that I mean, although there might be a moment, a significant time when you choose to forgive someone who has wounded you deeply, your forgiveness of them will often be more of a process over time. Yet you will need to choose to forgive them and to keep forgiving them again and again. That often is the case in deep wounds we experience. Then fifthly, forgiveness is not the same as reconciling. Just so want us to hear this clearly. Understand, I, I can forgive someone. I, I can let go of feelings of resentment, of desires for vengeance. That doesn't mean that the relationship is fully restored then. It doesn't immediately mean I trust that person. Don't equate forgiveness and trust. Trust is actually something that is earned over time. Trusting is very different from forgiveness. So authentic reconciliation can only take place, whether it's in friendships, in marriages, families, churches, when both parties come together, when responsibility is acknowledged, and when forgiveness is both requested and extended, when trust is restored over time, and, and then the relationship is reconciled. So forgiving somebody doesn't mean that the relationship is fully reconciled. In fact, C.S. Lewis, a great British author and apologist, noted that he finally forgave the schoolmaster who abused both him and his brother. But it was 30 years after that schoolmaster died. 
And so for Lewis, reconciliation wasn't possible because reconciliation requires the rebuilding of trust, of good faith on the part of both parties. So understand, you can forgive someone and hope for reconciliation, but they aren't necessarily the same thing. Okay, so having noted some of these things that forgiveness is not, it's, it's not excusing, it's not forgetting, it's not necessarily reconciling, then we ask, well, what is forgiveness? Now, it's really interesting that one of the original Greek words that we translate with our English word forgive in Matthew 6 and Matthew 18, what that original Greek word literally means is to have the fist clenched in anger and open it. To have the fist clenched in anger and open it. Which is a great reminder that forgiveness, in part, is about releasing. So one definition of forgiveness is this. It's letting go of feelings of resentment or the seeking of vengeance for a wrong done to us. And understand, regardless of whether the other person actually deserves our forgiveness, So to forgive then, you begin to let go of the desire for vengeance. And understand, you give up that desire because you start to understand God is a judge, we're not. And you need to understand, I hope you can hang on to the reality, vengeance never works. In fact, the author Philip Yancey put it this way. Vengeance is a passion to get even. It is a hot desire to give back as much pain as someone gives you. The problem with revenge is that it never gets what it wants. It never evens a score. Fairness never comes. The chain reaction set off by every act of vengeance always takes its unhindered course. It ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. Both are stuck on the escalator as long as parity is demanded. And the escalator never stops, never lets anyone off. So we have a choice. Uh, we can forgive or we can jump on that escalator of vengeance and let the pain truly increase. And, and so remembering this, really, the first person to benefit from forgiving is the person who forgives. Because you are letting go of a, a desire, a longing for vengeance that actually will only wither you over time. So for one, when we forgive, what we do in that, part of what it means is we release the other person from our resentment and vengeance. And also then a, a second step, when you forgive, and this one, often takes time, sometimes a lot of time. A second step is that you begin to wish that other person well. You start to see them as a, a fallen creature who needs grace, just like you are. You see that person as someone who God loves, just like he loves you. And I want to be clear, this process of forgiveness can take some time when it involves deep wounds. And, and there may be time, there might be moments of regression where you feel like you'd like to hear that the person who has wounded you has gotten shingles or lost their job or has Revenue Canada coming after them, something like that. But over time, though, 
as you forgive, those thoughts start to diminish. And really, the trajectory of your heart moves in a different direction. And understand, it's because God's grace is at work in your heart. Understand this. It is he who, by his grace, by his spirit, can be transforming you. And so to make this all clear, Jesus goes on and he tells a story. Back in Matthew 18, Jesus gives an, an example. He says this, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, just understand that a talent doesn't mean much to us in our day, but understand, historians estimate that the entire wealth of the Roman Empire during the day of Jesus was probably somewhere around four to 5,000 talents. The entire Roman Empire. So when Jesus says this servant owes the king 10,000 talents, he's saying this is just an unpayable number. It's a ridiculous number. It's something like the Canadian national debt. That, that kind of idea, or your mortgage maybe, that, that kind of unpayable, that kind of idea. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says, and since this servant could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And the king graciously does. You know, in Jesus' stories, often, often the characters represent in Jesus' story. Someone represents God often, and someone else represents kind of us. In this story, the king, he is representing God. He's not a perfect representation, but he symbolizes the king, our God. And the servant, the one who owes 10,000 talents, you know who that is? Everybody raise your hand. That, that, that's us. That's who it represents. It represents us. And, and, and so that Jesus was saying. And Jesus' point is that similarly to this servant, because of our fullness, our sin, we owe God an unpayable moral, moral and spiritual debt. Unpayable. It's a ridiculous amount that we owe. But our God loves us so much because he knows there's no way we could ever get out of our moral spiritual dilemma on our own. He therefore cancels our debt through Jesus' death on the cross. And, and that's why one writer puts it this way. Forgiven people forgive because they've experienced the gracious forgiveness of God. But we know this. That's not always the way it works with us. We know that. Sometimes forgiveness doesn't flow from us. And Jesus spotlights this problem in the rest of the story. Look at verse 28. But when that same forgiven servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was something like typically you'd be paid a day's wages with one denarii. So a hundred denarii, that was not a small amount. It was like a hundred days worth of pay, of income, but it's completely repayable. That's what this other servant owed. But it says this, and seizing him, the forgiven servant began to choke him saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, just like the other servant had done, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused, went and put him in prison and that he should pay the debt. So this servant here receives, he receives pure grace. He owes his life, he owes his freedom, he owes his family, his possessions, everything he has, he owes to the grace and forgiveness of his king, his master. But then this same servant goes out, finds a guy who owes him a very repayable debt. 
And he says, I don't care what the king did with me. I'm going to make this dude pay. And here's the problem. Bringing it to us, we have a strong tendency to think we can receive this incredible forgiveness from God, but not then offer a similar forgiveness to others. And understand, Jesus doesn't call this idea that we think we can get forgiveness from God without giving forgiveness to others. He doesn't just call that a bad idea or insufficient theology or weak thinking. He describes it here as impossible. That's what he's saying. Now, Anne Lamott puts it this way. Listen to her words. I went around saying for a long time, I'm not one of the Christians who's heavily into forgiveness. I'm the other kind of Christian. But even though it was funny and actually true, it started to be too painful to stay that way. In fact, not forgiving, listen, is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Drink that in. Not the poison, the idea. (laughs) Forgiveness, in some way, isn't natural. And, And that's why it's essential to let God's grace, his forgiveness, rule in our hearts. Because, friends, what Jesus is trying to say here, as Anne Lamott does much later, is that longing for vengeance will ruin our lives. And Jesus knows that. That's why he drives it home. Look again at Matthew 18. He says the king heard about this forgiven servant not forgiving another. In verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. An unpayable debt, by the way. So the servant makes a big mistake, Jesus is saying. The king says, I, I offered you a huge amount, an unimaginable amount of grace and forgiveness, but you wouldn't live in it. You want to receive it for yourself and deny it to others. That's not the way it works, the king says. And Jesus says, that's not the way it works in my kingdom either. And so Jesus ends with this statement, verse 35. Jesus said, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus isn't saying that if you fail to give, forgive, you'll be thrown into a torture chamber forever. What Jesus is trying to point out here is that forgiveness not shown means truly that forgiveness isn't known. That's what he's saying. I mean, Jesus is telling us that if we're not willing to forgive and endure the spiritual surgery of forgiveness, we will wither emotionally, spiritually, relationally because that lack of a willingness to forgive, it reveals that either we've never understood or we've actually never received the grace and forgiveness of God our Father. It implies one or the other. So I just wanted to ask us each a question I've been reflecting on myself this week. So are you willing to forgive? I mean, that might have more to do than you realize with the answer to this question. Do you know yourself to be forgiven by God? 
And, and I want to be clear. Forgiveness often takes time. I, there can be great pain involved in the process of, of forgiveness. I don't want to misunderstand that. But I tell you, it, if we continually remain defiant about forgiving others, again, it might suggest that you have never really understood or never experienced the forgiveness of God yourself. And maybe if you're here and, and you know you're not forgiven by God, man, the goodness, the great news I have for you today is you can be. I mean, even today, you can come to Christ. Even while I'm talking right now, you can just in your own silent prayer to God, you can say to God, oh God, please forgive me. I, I want the new life that you offer me in Jesus Christ. I, I want you to be my Lord and King. I submit to you. Forgive me, I pray. Because a God of heaven wants to forgive you. I love the words of the great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He exhorted this. Let us go to the cross of Christ to learn how we may be forgiven. And let us linger there to learn how to forgive. So ask again, is there someone who God is prompting you right now to forgive? Would you be willing to take that first step of beginning to release them right now as, as a first step in this? Or maybe you'd, be, maybe you'd say, I'm not willing. Would you be willing to take the step of just praying? Okay, Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to forgive them. But I would ask, would you make my heart willing on this? Would you pray that prayer to God? As we pray together, oh God, our, our Father in heaven, would you forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Amen? And therefore, so fittingly, we come then to this table, which if we need to be reminded of the breadth of his forgiveness, rather than just hearing it in words, intellectually, we feel we receive bread. And praying, Father, as we take this bread, we, by your spirit, would be reminded of the reality that the body of Christ was broken for us. And then similarly, Father, we pray by your grace, through your spirit, as we receive these cups and take it, we would, in our hearts, our souls, be ignited with the reality that the blood of Christ was poured out for us. So let us take this meal, let's remember in it and receive from Christ in it because he has forgiven us beyond all measure. So let me pray and then we'll come to the table. Let's pray. And so Father, I do pray that you would open our hearts to whatever surgery you want to do in us, Lord. I, I pray you would give us an honesty in recognizing where we aren't forgiving. And, and also power by your spirit to take steps forward in releasing others, in seeking goodness for them. And to that end, we therefore come to this table, praying in it, we, we'd be reminded for one, but praying in it, we'd be sustained spiritually. Feed us by your spirit again as we come to this bread, to this cup. And we ask this again in his name and all God's people say, amen. Let's come.